Welcome to the Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. And now here's your host, Don Smith. Hey, thank you, Brad Smith, for that great introduction. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in today for another Don Smith Show, where it's always okay to be a conservative. Hey, this is our last show here of 2018. Hope you had a great year. I hope you have an even better one in 2019. So go back. We're going to go back and look at some of the best interviews of the year. This week, we're going to have Charlie Daniels, Candace Owens, Dr. Elvita King, David Bossy, and then joining us live, as always, is my dear friend, Mr. Richard Barris. He's the editor of peoplespunditdaily.com. So great show here today. I think we've got a great lineup. Some of the best interviews we've done Certainly no shortage of news, um, and and there has not been since November 8, 2016, and there will not be until uh, post-President Donald Trump. So amazing times here. We, of course, have the the police officer who was killed by an illegal immigrant, illegal alien in the state of California. We will cover that. So a lot of great interview clips to play here today, a lot of uh, big, important news going on, but just a little bit of time to do it. Hey. I think we all know what time it is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Well, if we ever needed a clearer choice between what's going on in America when it comes to immigration, especially illegal immigration, uh, it played out for us this week in very sad news and uh, just horrible, horrible stuff going on here. But here you had a police officer whose whose dream, his American dream, was to move to the United States from Fiji, become an American citizen, and serve as a law enforcement officer. This man was living his dream. On the other hand, because liberals never want to acknowledge illegal immigration. They always leave that word out, and we're just, of course, we're anti-immigrant, and of course we're not. We stand with this police officer, who Ronnie Singh, who again, was living the American dream. It's the other side of this. You remember when President Trump, then-candidate Trump, announced his presidency? The outrage at what he had to say, that these aren't always the best people coming to the United States. Well, yeah, I think most rational people understood exactly what he meant by that. In fact, if you go back through the years, and you've heard some of these clips before, But if you go back through the years, this used to be a position that everybody in politics agreed on. So as we look for this comprehensive immigration reform, which, by the way, whenever you hear somebody talk about comprehensive immigration reform, they don't want anything done because that's impossible. We we can't comprehensively fix anything in this country at this point, especially with the uh, the division with uh, the partisanship that's on both sides of the aisle right now. So whenever you hear somebody use that term, comprehensive immigration reform, that means they want status quo. They want it to be exactly like it is right now because they know that it's an absolute impossibility. Here you've got the president simply wanting to secure our borders. 
just just one element of, of the problem we have in this country with illegal immigration, and we can't get that done. But yeah, we're supposed to believe that comprehensive immigration reform is the real answer here. But but back to what people on the left had to say. I mean, here's former President Obama back in 2005. Listen to this. We all agree on the need to better secure the border and to punish employers who choose to hire illegal immigrants. Uh, you know, we are a generous and welcoming people here in the United States, but those who enter the country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law, uh, and they are showing disregard for those who are following the law. Uh, we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. Now, that, that speech right there could have very well been plagiarized from a Donald Trump campaign rally. I mean, these are the same things. So is this another example of, because, of course, liberals always evolve, whereas, you know, Republicans, they flip-flop. But it, Republican, or Democrats always think they're better people when they completely change their stance. And uh, it's, it's amazing as we watch everything that's going on. We watch this, this horrible uh, shooting of this police officer in California. Just incredible that, that they've come full circle on this. You, you've got the former president of the United States who had an opportunity to do comprehensive immigration reform. Nothing got done. Nothing got done except some illegal action for the DACA and, and those kind of things. But this is a guy who also said this. There are those in the immigrants' rights community who have argued passionately that we should simply provide those who are illegally with legal status or at least ignore the laws on the books. But I believe such an indiscriminate approach would be both unwise and unfair. Bravo. I could not agree more. So I think the real, the real question here is what's changed? Now, of course, we, we realize that the, this is a voting issue. This is about a voter base. This is about Democrats just wanting votes. But the, somewhere. This has to stop. This is not acceptable. This is not okay. And it's not okay just to change the language, which is a big factor in, the, in this whole debate is the language, and it shows exactly how important words really are, that words have meaning. Words matter. Just ask Chuck Schumer at least, well, a few years back anyway. When we use phrases like undocumented workers, we convey a message to the American people that their government is not serious about combating illegal immigration. Huh, oh, the irony. Now, this is unbelievable because you've got Chuck Schumer there, and he's talking about if you watch the, the whole speech he gave there, he went on and on, and he talked about illegal aliens. He kept saying illegal aliens, illegal aliens. You and I today, when we use the term illegal aliens, we're a racist. We're racist. So wasn't Chuck a racist then? Now, the answer, of course, is no, because, again, he evolved. He became a better person. He saw the light of day. He was 100% correct when he made that comment. This message should have been delivered to these politicians on November 8th, 2016. It should have, but it wasn't. The American people want something done about this. 
And, and they can change the language. They can do all these different things. The bottom line is an illegal alien shot and killed a police officer this week who happened to be a legal immigrant living the American dream. There could not be a, a bigger contrast. Who do you stand with? Do you stand, stand with Officer Singh or the illegal who shot him? It's pretty cut and dry. You know, I watched the press conference here, and it was just heartbreaking if you saw this. But the sheriff that, who was there, the Newman Police Chief Randy Richardson, who directly put the blame on sanctuary cities. There was nothing he could do. This was somebody who had been, he was a gang member. He had been convicted of DUI twice, and there was nothing we could do. The sheriff was helpless. But I watched what happened after that press conference, and I watched the liberal media. They're attacking the police chief now. He's the one with the problem. He's the bad guy in this because they can't have somebody in an official capacity laying this on the feet of those Democrats in the state of California who have made it a sanctuary state. Again, this could not be any more cut and dried. When you look at who do you stand with? I think that's uh, something's got to get done, and I don't think anything will. And we've been dealing with this for, you know, we're going to continue to allow people to illegally enter this country. We've got major problems in this country. We've got drug abuse, which a lot of that is coming across that border. A lot of those drugs come here through our southern border. So, geez, we don't want to stop that either, apparently. Look at the homeless problem in this country. Every major city in the United States has a major homeless problem. Are we going to solve that problem? The answer, no, we're not going to solve that problem. We don't even seem to be particularly interested in it. But instead, we're going to continue to let people like this, the illegal who shot a police officer in the state of California, we're going to allow them in. No problem. We'll do everything we can. But we've got to give them, we've got to give them all the benefits in the world. Forget about the homeless. If you've been to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, which this is where these politicians, this is where they live, this is where they work. This is, if you go, they have to step over homeless people on their way into the congressional buildings. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got people living in cardboard boxes on the street. Like, like it's their property. This is, my, this is my space. They've completely taken over the parks. If you've got kids and you want to take your kids to the park in Washington, D.C., you can forget about it. If you live there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because every bench is filled, and that's the property of a homeless person. This is my bench. Maybe. Maybe it's a priority problem. Maybe we need to start looking at that. Maybe we need to start looking at the treatment of our veterans. Maybe that would be a good place to start. But again, this is something that I, I don't think it gets solved. We've got a great lineup here for you here today. Quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this. Are you among the 64% of Americans who believe our country is going in the wrong direction? If yes, then eVoiceAmerica.com is the political take action site we've all been waiting for. And it's really free. eVoice America provides your personal list of elected reps every time you log on. This makes it so easy to email your opinions and e-votes on top issues directly to each of our D.C. elected representatives. eVoice then publishes our e-vote majority percentages on top issues to each member of Congress and the media. 
Now, for the first time in history, we can know what millions of American citizens are telling Congress. No more gridlock. Join the new American majority using eVoiceAmerica.com, putting Americans in control of Congress. Visit eVoiceAmerica.com today. It's free and easy to use. That's eVoiceAmerica.com. And here is our newly remodeled hotel business center. Lobby disk drive computer, dot matrix printer, and modem. Uh, modem? That's right. Dial up. Hello. Need a new way to work when you're on the road? Regis has over 1,100 professional business lounges. Access to meeting rooms with video conference studios. Private offices you can book by the hour or day. And a mobile app to find Regis locations. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Patriotic Warriors is an activist organization built to engage our community through information, training, outreach programs, and other resources. Our members work together to share knowledge and take coordinated action to make our elected officials hear our voice in unison. While others talk about preserving our constitutional republic, Patriotic Warriors takes action by utilizing cutting-edge technology and proven strategic initiatives necessary to restore the American dream and preserve it for future generations to come. If you're truly concerned about the future of the greatest nation in history, visit Patriotic Warriors today. No more waiting for someone else. The time is now. Go to PatrioticWarriors.com and make a difference. PatrioticWarriors.com. That's PatrioticWarriors.com. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to, except give you grief for being a conservative? You've got to try the Tea Party community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures, and videos. The Tea Party community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people. Like you, sign up today at TeaPartyCommunity.com. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. This is Victoria Jackson. This is Paul Vallely, Major General, U.S. Army, uh, retired. Hi, this is Chuck Woolery. You're listening to The Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great Saturday so far. I want to wish you all a safe and happy new year again. Hope your 2019 is better than 2018, or at least just as good if you had a really good 2018. You know, the president said it this week, and I think this is really important to focus on because we played the clips of former President Obama. We've got Chuck Schumer. We could play Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, all of them. 
They all felt the same way. They all supported building the fence. They, at, one, at one point in time, they appropriated 10 times what the president is asking for today in order to continue building this wall. So, so this isn't uh, – the president said it. Let me just get to this because the president said it this week. These people were all in favor of border security. They were all in favor of the wall. They were all in, border, uh, in favor of deportations until he was for it. Then they've all changed. They all have a completely different tone now. Even Hillary Clinton, in an interview, and I'll never forget this interview, where she sat down and they asked her, where they were like, well, what, what about these kids? Look at all the debate that we've had over the kids in cages, because this is something that just, just started under President Trump. Nobody ever did this before President Trump. Well, that was the problem with they actually sent out a picture from 2014, which was, of course, not under President Trump. But even to this day, they will not own up to this. But listen to this interview clip with Hillary Clinton being questioned about sending kids back across the border, deporting children. You have to send a clear message. Just because your child gets across the border, that doesn't mean the child gets to stay. Should they be sent back? They, well, first of all, we have to provide the best emergency care we can provide. We have children five and six years old who have come up from Central America. We need to do more to provide border security in so southern Mexico. They should be sent back now. Well, they should be sent back as soon as it can be determined who responsible adults and their families are because there are concerns about whether all of them can be sent back. Hmm. How interesting my how times have changed. Oh, the irony. You know, we we got to send them back as soon as we determine who the responsible parents are. Okay, let me clear something up about this right now because there's some talk about uh, some young kids who have died here in, in border custody. Let's clear this up right now. If you send your small child across the, an entire country, the entire country of Mexico, you send them to the border unaccompanied, that you're not a responsible parent. This isn't a complex issue. What kind of parent would do that to their children? You, get the, you, you look at these young kids, and, and that's a tragedy. And I think we're up to three now, three, uh, three young kids. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? And if you ask this question, people say, well, they were right there with them. <laughs> okay, Border Patrol agents are not responsible for the health care of children. That's kind of like a parental thing, right? Are they not the responsible party here? I would say they are. This is a problem that hurt them the, the last time we had this big debate and the uh, government shutdown and, and these things. The vast majority of the American people put the blame on the parents. Who sends their kids unaccompanied with a bunch of coyotes to get them across the border? I mean, this is, this is complete insanity at this point. But I do have to say, there, there are some places here in the country right now that are uh, starting to get, you know, starting to look into some of the real problems, some of the root causes of illegal immigration in this country. And just let me read you this story here. This is uh, one that just came out here this morning. New Jersey prosecutors have collected evidence that supervisors at a, golf, at a state golf club may have committed federal immigration crimes. And the FBI, as well as Special Counsel Robert Mueller, have played a part in the inquiry, the Daily News has learned. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Hang on. I've got to read that again. I left a couple words out. Let me, let me try this again. New Jersey prosecutors have collected evidence that supervisors at President Trump's Garden State Golf Club 
may have committed federal immigration crimes. And the FBI, as well as special counsel Robert Mueller, had played a part in the inquiry, the Daily News has learned. Wow. So they're going to start getting serious about this. I look out my window, and I can see almost everywhere I look, whether it's a landscaping crew, there's a construction crew here at our building. Everywhere I look, they're all illegal. So obviously there has been no concern up until this point, until today, with illegal immigration and them working. You heard the clip with former President Obama, who was talking about this, if we need to start holding these people accountable. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're going to do it now only at President Trump's Garden State Golf Club. Annabelle Romero, a Newark attorney who represents several undocumented immigrants who used to work at the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, said Friday he recently met with investigators from the state attorney general's office and handed over fraudulent green cards and social security numbers that management at the club allegedly procured and gave his clients, Victorina Morales and Sandra Diaz. Before he met with state prosecutors, Romero said he reached out to Mueller's office because he hates Donald Trump. Oh, no, I'm sorry, he doesn't say that. Reached out to Mueller's office because, while he wanted to contact federal authorities, he was concerned about looping in the Justice Department, which was headed by Jeff Sessions at the time. I wasn't sure, one, if they'd take me seriously, and two, if this could backfire on my clients, Romero told the news, referencing the Trump administration's aggressive immigration agenda. See, so they're going to get serious about it, but it's going to be kind of a selective thing. You know, we're going to we'll get serious against this guy because we hate him. Everywhere else in the country, meh, not so much. That's all this is about. This is about their hatred for President Donald J. Trump. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. So just amazing to watch how the media has, has played a role, a significant role in this. You, you look at the caravan stuff. You look at uh, things that are happening in the caravan that were the, just a lot of criminals in there. But all they kept showing was the little kids. Oh, look at the little kids. And oh, aren't they so cute? They're so precious. We should just welcome them in here. And these are people who are now attacking ICE. They're, they're attacking the people that are supposed to protect our very porous borders right now. So they've made their decision whose side they're on. If you need any proof, here you go. I think there's no question that we've got to critically re-examine ICE and its role and the way that it is being administered and the work it is doing, and we need to probably think about starting from scratch. I think we need to abolish ICE. That seems really clear. They have strayed so far from the interests of the American people and the interests of humanity. Uh, we, need to, we need to abolish it. Eliminating ICE, for instance, and President yeah. Trump. Yeah. ICE isn't doing what it was created to do. It's being used as his own personal uh, police force. And in those actions, it's actually making us uh, less safe. Their hatred for President Trump knows no bounds. All of a sudden, ICE, they're horrible people. We need to abolish it. Because they hate President Trump. Again, not complicated. Well, I want to do a little bit of our... uh, Best of 2018 interviews, and we had a great year here at the Don Smith Show, and uh, thank you for everybody who tuned in um, for a number of the broadcasts. But this was one of the things that, that I thought was really interesting. If, if you remember David Bossie, who played a key role in, in the Trump campaign uh, back in 2016, had some pretty interesting things to say. Now, he had just written a book with Corey Lewandowski, Let Trump Be Trump, which I thought was a great title. But here we were talking about 
basically the double standard and, and the way that this all works, exactly what we're talking about right now. Here was here's about a five minute clip of my sit down with David Bossy. You know, I've got to ask you this, because what we're hearing on the media is that uh, this is terrible. He gave up everything. It's, uh, it's, it's a horrible thing, according to the media. How is this any different than when former President Obama uh, sat down with uh, Raul Castro, for example, and this was great, it was unprecedented, it was breaking all the rules. Why is it bad now, but it was great then? Well, look, the, the, the opposition party, the Democrats, uh, and their cohorts in the mainstream media, they, they, and I say this on TV and it drives people crazy, but I, and I've been saying it for months. They hate this president more than they love this country. And I just believe it to be true. And it's unfortunate because Barack Obama can send pallets of cash to the Iranians. He can make bad deals with the with uh, North Korea. He can uh, open up, uh, you know, Cuba um, and the left fawns on him. Oh, he's such a great guy. He can go to a baseball game with Raul Castro and do the okay? wave. He could sit behind. He could, yeah, and do the wave. Exactly. He could do all of these things, but he can't try to stop a nuclear threat hanging over the world um, because uh, they just dislike him. They don't like his style. They don't like how he does things. It's, but that's part of why he became president. And I just think that uh, people need to give him a little bit of a, a little bit of room. And, and, and look, none of us know if this is going to work. None of us know uh, for certain but what we do know is nothing that's been done by the geniuses before him has worked. So they don't like his style. They don't like, you know, his, 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 the way he carries himself. I say tough, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, he needs to um, continue the way he operates. And maybe, just maybe, uh, it's what got us to the table the tough talk, the maximum pressure campaign, uh, the fire and fury uh, threats got us to that point. Now let's see if we can carry through and denuclearize. If, it, if in five years' time the North Korean peninsula is a safe, secure place and has been denuclearized, I would say that the world uh, would, would applaud or should applaud President Trump. Uh, if, if, if it's not there, then people can, ha- can have very good questions about what happened and why it happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you this uh, totally uh, unconventional campaign that the then-candidate Trump ran, uh, obviously very successful, great people around it. You, Corey Lewandowski, let Trump be Trump. David, what is your favorite story of what happened on the campaign trail that would interest my, my listeners? Oh, well, you know, it, it boiled down to the president's tenacity, to his uh, ferocity of the campaign that we ran. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of reasons that he won. Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. Crooked Hillary was, you know, uh, not trusted. There were there, there was many reasons that we that that we won, but they all come back to this president and to how he ran the campaign and he worked harder than anyone else. And so I lived it with him, uh, in, in August, uh, September, October, and November, uh, and, and, and saw 
just how hard he worked. And, and what we did is we built a campaign that went from one or two rallies a day uh, to six a day. And we were doing six one-hour rallies every day, seven days a week, uh, in, in three different time zones uh, across the country that were dominating the news. And Hillary Clinton was trying to fill was trying to do one event and she couldn't fill a high school cafeteria and the mainstream media said oh that doesn't equate to votes so you know and we were looking at the intensity we were looking at you know a 10 15 20,000 people in an arena six times a day who would spend an entire day to get to the event to stand in line to be in the arena to go through security and and then to be there for the rally and then to spend hours to get home it was an event. It was like a rock concert. It was, it was, it was a place you had to be. And uh, that's the, those are the memories for me is he would do this um, day in and day out. And it was, it, it was exhausting for us, the staff. And he was 70 years old. And he literally, one of the great memories is, you know, Corey was sick. He had um, walking pneumonia. And he we were flying from one place to another and the president looked at Corey and Corey put his head down on the, on the table, on the plane for like a 30 minute flight. And the president said, Corey, you okay? And Corey's like, well, I just don't feel good, sir. I'm going to be fine. And he's like, Hey, you know, if you can't handle it, we'll get somebody else. <laughs> yeah. He's an incredible that's, workout. That's, that's brutal. That's brutal. When you are the guys working 20 hours a day, seven days a week to help him, but that's how he – it's just he's so intense. He wants he wants everything to work, and he wants it all to be perfect. So he's like, hey, you know, I'm handling it. You guys got to handle it too. All right. That was my sit-down with David Bossier earlier this year, uh, probably about the midpoint of the year. Uh, great guy who's done a lot for uh, the president, especially on the campaign trail. He was very active as well as uh, Corey Lewandowski was as well. So uh, re- really cool to sit down and talk with him. I've had him on a number of times on the program. Uh, certainly we'll have him back again in 2019. Hey, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with my dear friend, Mr. Richard Barris, the editor of peoplespunditdaily.com. A-Game Consulting Services is an industry leader in the implementation of lean manufacturing techniques. If your business is suffering from declining profits during these difficult economic times, contact A-Game Consulting Services today. The staff at A-Game Consulting Services has been implementing lean manufacturing at businesses around the world for many years now. Whether you're a small business or a major corporation, lean manufacturing can have an immediate impact on your bottom line. Here's what former Speaker of the House and presidential candidate Newt Gingrich had to say about lean manufacturing. They should institute Lean Six Sigma across the entire federal government. A hard idea for Washington reporters to cover, but an important idea because it's the key to American manufacturing success. Although the principles of lean have been around for several years, no business does a better job of implementing this proven methodology than A-Game Consulting Services. Their staff of master black belts will create a detailed plan specific to your organization. Imagine having a workforce that functions in complete harmony, all working towards achieving well-defined company goals. Or how about being able to find and eliminate unnecessary waste that exist in every business? Regardless of your business model, A-Game Consulting Services has a program that will work for you. So if you're looking for a surefire way to improve your bottom line, contact A-Game Consulting Services today at 904-435-8414. That's 904-435-8414. 
or email them for more information at info at visitacs.com. That's info at visitacs.com. As a proud sponsor of this program, just mention The Don Smith Show and you'll receive a free no-obligation consultation. Contact us today and you'll be on your way to developing your A-game. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to except give you grief for being a conservative? you got to try the Tea Party community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures, and videos. The Tea Party community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people. Like you, sign up today at teapartycommunity.com. Are you among the 64% of Americans who believe our country is going in the wrong direction? If yes, then eVoiceAmerica.com is the political take action site we've all been waiting for. And it's really free. eVoice America provides your personal list of elected reps every time you log on. This makes it so easy to email your opinions and e-votes on top issues directly to each of our D.C. elected representatives. eVoice then publishes our e-vote majority percentages on top issues to each member of Congress and the media. Now, for the first time in history, we can know what millions of American citizens are telling Congress. No more gridlock. Join the new American majority using eVoiceAmerica.com, putting Americans in control of Congress. Visit eVoiceAmerica.com today. It's free and easy to use. That's eVoiceAmerica.com. Is it time to expand and open offices in Sao Paulo and London? A long-term lease will be like a short, tight noose. And furnishing those will be as much fun as a tax audit. You guys always give me such great negative feedback. Fear and doubt holding you back? Now there's a new way to work to minimize risk. With Regis, you get fully equipped offices without a long-term lease, a receptionist, conference rooms, and over 1,100 locations around the world. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Hi, this is former Congressman Lieutenant Colonel Retired Alan West. Hi, this is Ben Shapiro, New York Times bestselling author of Bullies and Editor-at-Large of Breitbart News. Hi, I'm Charlie Daniels, and I'm on the Don Smith Show, where it is okay. In fact, it's wonderful to be a conservative. Welcome back to the show again. Hope you're having a great Saturday so far and looking forward to a happy new year and safe one as well. We've got Richard Bears coming up here in just a couple minutes. You're going to hear from Charlie Daniels, Candace Owens, and Dr. Elzita King in our best of show here. You know, you look at this, we read the story about what's going on in New Jersey where they're going after President Trump for hiring illegal aliens. Uh, it's unbelievable. First of all, just the fact that they're trying to present this as Obviously, he knew about this, and he's probably involved in the day-to-day, every-minute-by-minute aspect of running that golf course. I think, obviously, we know better than that. But this is a serious issue. 
And one of the problems, this is one thing that I would like to see the president address more, is the hiring of illegal aliens. Again, I can look outside and I can see illegal aliens working everywhere. And these aren't just jobs. They're not just, there's no fruit picking going on here in our, uh, where we live. Nobody's picking fruit. But this is the big misnomer. This is the big misconception that's put out there uh, is that these, are do- these people are doing jobs that Americans won't do. Well, I'm pretty sure they'll do construction, they'll do landscaping, they'll work in convenience stores. I, I served as a jury foreman on a, on a trial where every single person in, in this trial was illegal, with the exception of us and the judge and the, and the attorneys. And the, they were all employed. They were all employed. But they were also, they were illegals who were preying on other illegals, feeling safer to do that because then they obviously didn't think that the, another illegal was going to go to the police. So, so this, it's wrongheaded that, that we say we have these sanctuary policies that, well, that's supposed to protect these people to be able to come out and say, okay, I get all that, but it does not solve the problem. And I think that's the biggest problem we're seeing in government today is, again, I mentioned earlier, the treatment of our veterans, the, the homeless problem. We have an enormous homeless problem in this country. But our answer to that is just to throw money at it, to build uh, bathrooms, to uh, do all these things to make it more, I don't know, I guess, pleasant to be homeless, as opposed to looking at the real issues. Now, there's many people who say the wall isn't going to solve all the problems, and it, it's not meant to. It's not meant to. We're going to have next week on the program, I'm going to bring on a border agent uh, from our southern border, and we're going to keep his name anonymous, but... There is a lot of frustration within this community right now. Border Patrol officers going, please, somebody do something. I've got a friend who, who was down uh, last week on the southern border in Arizona. And he said it's incredible. It's, it's, it's amazing to just watch the flow of people illegally entering this country. And one of the things he talked about with that Border Patrol agent was about the wall. They, they talked about that. And the agent said, yeah, it's not going to solve the problems, but what it will do is it will slow them down. It will make it more difficult for them. If they're going to bring a ladder, first of all, they talk about, you hear people like Geraldo Rivera, right? And so people say, well, we're going to build a 20-foot wall. He starts talking about 25-foot ladders. Because that's, I mean, mean, everybody walks around with 25-foot ladders, and I imagine that'd be very, very light, too, to carry around, right? Yeah, I, I don't think so. So again, uh, next week we're going to have a conversation with a actual Border Patrol agent who deals with this every day. He's in, I'm not going to say exactly where he's at, but he is in, I can say this, he is in the most problematic part of the country when it comes to our borders. So uh, just incredible to, to sit down and talk to him and to hear from an actual border agent themselves. Now, uh, So you definitely want to tune in for that. But right now it is my pleasure to bring on my dear friend. His name is Richard Barris. He is the editor of peoplespunditdaily.com. Hey, Rich, welcome back to the show. Hey, Don, how you doing, my friend? Happy New Year. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Absolutely. How about you, my friend? It was wonderful. It was memorable. It was, I, could, I could not complain. Great. Well, we had, we had a nice one ourselves and uh, looking forward to a new year, and let's see what this new year brings. But right now, let's get into some of the stuff going on on peoplespunditdaily.com. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this. You've got a story on your front page, and I want to talk about this. It deals with Doug Jones, and I think this is uh, something that's kind of breaking right now. Talk a little bit about what's going on with Doug Jones. 
it is breaking right now. We've had the story for a while, but we've uh, we've been holding it to develop it. And uh, ba- basically, Doug Jones would have started 2020, Don, with especially with Donald Trump on the ballot there. Uh, he, he would have started 2020 as the underdog, even though he's the incumbent. Uh, you know, the model we've already plugged this in. His his incumbency edge is completely wiped away by the partisanship, the, the lean of the state, Trump's approval rating, and the economic conditions in the state. This is some of the variables that we plug into this model. You know, it's not just polling like some of the glorified poll readers uh, who pretend they build models out of, out of public polls. But uh, the incumbency edge is just completely wiped away. Doug Jones was the first one to win the state of Alabama in 20 years since Richard Shelby in 1996. So in the event uh, it was just a generic Republican, he would have already been, uh, you know, an underdog. And uh, uh, what we have heard now, and this is going on for months, is that, uh, it, you know, they're, they're a little bit worried. And when I say they, I mean the National Republican Senatorial Committee and the senators who don't like Donald Trump. They're a little bit worried that maybe Mo Brooks will run again and because he has a good argument that, uh, you know, I could have won last time and I was conservative. Uh, yes, you guys remember he had a little bit of a never Trump stigma uh, because he was in that conservative wing during the nomination of Donald Trump that 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 opposed him for a while and supported Ted Cruz. But he has been a more staunch supporter of the Trump agenda when it comes to the actual actual governing. So they're a little bit worried about him running and they want Jeff Sessions to run. And again, we've heard names like Tom Tillis, who's the vice president, I mean, the vice chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Gardner is the chair or won't be soon, but uh, they they passed this off after elections. But and then fellow senators in the South, Tillis, Scott, Cornyn, these guys want Sessions to run. We, We can't ascertain his interest right now. We don't know that he has an interest. But uh, the effort's there. It's going to happen. You will be pressured to do this. Mm. Yeah, that would be an interesting race. Let me ask you this, though, because I think there's a lot of people listening right now, and I count me as one of them, who wonder how much credibility or how much uh, how much is the stock going down on Attorney General Sessions after uh, many people were wondering what he did and uh, the fact that he recused himself and kind of created a bit of a mess with the Department of Justice. Do you, do you think he would still carry the, the weight in that state that, that maybe he did before his time as Attorney General? You know, we're going to poll that, Don, so I can give a better answer on that because I wonder that as well. Uh, Sessions' national approval, we have done this uh, privately, Sessions' national approval among Republicans and conservatives specifically is not good. He has um, – I don't want to say he's destroyed his reputation, but, I mean, it's pretty close, Don. I mean, there's a wing of the party who likes him now even though they didn't like him as much before. Or at least they didn't, you know, agree with him. I wouldn't say didn't like him. They all get along up there. Uh, but I, w- I would say in Alabama, it may be a little bit different, and that's what we're going to pull. We're going to pull the state itself because we really don't care. At the time when we did it, it was it was national because it was the attorney general. But uh, now uh, we'll pull the state and we'll find out. My, I suspect Don that he's not going to have the argument that they think. And when we talk to these people who. You know, uh, when we talk to sources, the stuff that comes out of some of the sen- these senators' mouths, they're clueless. I mean, they really are truly clueless. They, they don't see it. They don't understand that. What you just said, it doesn't even come across. Well, ah, you know, did he ruin his reputation with the base? And let me tell you why. Because they don't really like Donald Trump, guys. Okay, Don- the White House you know, knows that, the- that they saved the Senate. 
and they they increased the Senate. They didn't just save it; they increased it. And they 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 think that the NRSC may should have a little bit more brains, you know. Uh, what would have happened without me, kind of thing? That doesn't seem to be coming across to them. Just to let everybody know, they think it's better if Donald Trump loses in 2020. They think that he, in the long run, is going to hurt the party brand, and they want him to lose in 2020. And this has come right from their mouths to the sources in these articles. There are multiple sources disconnected. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, a, it, I, I don't, I, I know Trump supporters don't, some don't want to hear that, but the fact of the matter is some of these people are just really good actors. And I don't know what else to tell you folks, but they want Trump to lose in 2020 because they want Republic. They want business to go back as usual and they want their party back. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think I think the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. If you look at what was accomplished, we had two years where we had the House, the Senate. Uh, we could have got a lot of things done, but we didn't. And it seemed to be that fighting mostly coming from actually, I mean, we talk about the resist movement and everything on the left, but a lot of this was from House Republicans and Senate Republicans who, the, the Jeff Flakes and all these kind of people who just don't want to see this president have any success. And, I, uh, and so, again, I think we saw that play out. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I would just point out, too, uh, that I just just so I'm clear about before when I pull this, I, you know, I, I expect the sessions to not be at the levels that he was at before. But it is still a very Republican state. And Doug Jones barely won this thing. So I did just want to make clear that I, I think Jones would be clobbered by Jeff Sessions. I do. But he'll have to earn that in a primary. And I think Mo Brooks may have the better conservative argument if he's interested. And we haven't spoken to uh, you know Mo Brooks about this, and, and, and we will try. We'll see if he has an interest. But um, you know, I think in the end, Don, the proof is in the pudding, like you said. And these guys are doing what they can behind this guy's back to make his life very horrible in 2020. And you know, some of this other stuff we haven't put out yet. And we will, but they're, uh, you know, they're going to try to be, I don't, they're going to, they're going to try to give the op, an optical appearance that, you know, that they, that they are behind the president and it was kind of an out of, out of their hands kind of thing. I don't know how, how to best explain this yet without dropping the bomb, but, uh, you know, that they just, again, I, I have to put this clear as day. They want their party back and they want things to go back to the way it was and they feel like Trump is going to hurt them. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's conventional wisdom. Doesn't that sound just like DC to you? It doesn't matter that the, that the guy won Rust Belt States, the Republican party hasn't even been competitive in, uh, since, you know, the eighties, but they, they just don't see it, Don. They don't, they don't see that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you brought something up. I want to dig into this a little bit because this was one of the things I thought that was fascinating in the last election cycle. And this, that was Representative Mo Brooks. You bring him up. This is a guy who's very staunch on uh, border security. I have personally talked with him and been at events with him and interviewed him and discussed this. And he gets it. I mean, this is a guy who totally gets the entire immigration problem, though, from the employing illegals to, I mean, all the way down the line. What, what happened to him in, in, the state, in his state? I mean, how did he lose the support that, that he had for so many years? I, I, I got, got a little bit glitched there. Were you talking about more sessions? Did I misunderstand what you said? Or? Talking about Mo Brooks, who was a guy who was oh, really, oh. yeah. What happened to his popularity in that state? Right. Well, in 2015, if you guys got to remember, put it in the context, you know, that there, there was a bitter fight in the primary. It, 
after South Carolina, one state after another just seemed to me anyway to be a desperate effort to stop Donald Trump. You know, once it's all about demographics. And when you take 50 counties in South Carolina, it's over because you, you're winning the moderate conservative. Uh, you're winning the, the strict conservative. You're just cleaning up evangelicals to even secular Republicans. And that's how Donald Trump won. There was a group in the Republican Party who refused to accept defeat, and they would go from one candidate to the other. And there were uh, one segment that billed themselves as too conservative for Trump, and Brooks was in that. So when this nomination for the special election kicked off, there were a lot of people in, in Trump land that were still burned about Brooks. But when it became clear that it was either going to be strange or more, they did try to get behind Brooks. It was just too late. So, uh, you know, it, again, that, that the 2015, there were some comments that he made that ultimately, uh, you know, some people could not look past when it mattered. But in the end, you know, Mo Brooks said things that I think will help him if he does decide to run in 2020, you know, where he said, uh, in the end, you know, there are accusations, and I'm a conservative, so my, my vote is better served with Judge Moore. You know, kind of like Mo Brooks, in the end, has the argument, Don, where when it comes to his votes and, you know, on legislation and at the ballot box, he could say, I was there when it counted. And, uh, you know, that, that, that will stand in contrast. But he hurt, there's no doubt, he hurt some of his popularity with Trump voters. Uh, but he, but more lost where Brooks's base of support. He lost too much support. It was carried by the Republican, but he did not carry it by enough. Madison up and in that area, and then the Wiregrass in the southeast. So the Northwest and the North and the Southeast is where more lost, and that's because he did not pull over those Brooks. They, they were still like kind of butting heads and fighting with each other. And then Shelby killed him uh, with that comment, uh, Senator Shelby. Uh, they, he, he really put the last nail in Moore's coffin, and, and you can see that because, again, his, his base, his, his structure, his campaign structure in the northern part of the state, Madison and the Burbs, Moore did very poorly there. And that is that, that Richard Shelby's you know, election eve comment, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah it. absolutely. Well, you guys had a story here uh, at peoplespondentdaily.com just the other day, of course, covering uh, President Trump who's now threatened to close the southern border entirely if Congress doesn't fund his, fund the wall and uh, give, give him the money that he wants for that. Talk a little bit about what's going on there. Right. So, you know, he's, he actually just sent a, a tweet a little bit ago that said, I'm waiting, I'm waiting on the Democrats. So he threatened to close it. Uh, you know, and some people are saying he doesn't have the authority to do that. Uh, we'll see, because, of course, he does under certain national security uh, precautions. But the largest caravan we've ever seen is getting ready to mount and march on over here, and he knows that. So we'll see what it looks like uh, you know, when, when, when they get here. But Nancy Pelosi has no intention of uh, talking to him, neither does Schumer. They don't want him to have the wall done. They, they want him to fail. And the wall, they understand, uh, is a big promise. They want it to be his Herbert Walker Bush read my lips moment, and uh, they're not going to work or, or work with him on this or move on it. So – you know, he basically is saying that he'll close the border, and they're saying he doesn't have the authority. So we'll just have to see how this goes. But next week, we will start to see images of a monster caravan, and uh, that may change some of this dynamic. I never expect Democrats to come over, Don, uh, but, you know, at least he's fighting. He has to fight for this. This is about his reelection. It is about a promise and, and him doing what he said he would do. 
And on this issue specifically, there is no more issue. There is no more important issue than immigration when it comes uh, to Donald Trump's reelection. And even I say I'm not like others. I don't think the wall has to be up and erected, but he did have to fight for it and have some progress to show for it. So this is what he's doing, and you can't blame him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people watch the media, watch the story playing out, the shutdown and the uh, building the wall and all these things, Rich. And, and we hear that it's just a base issue. So uh, Donald Trump's base just wants the wall built. It was a promise, it was all those things. And on the left, they don't want it built because, you know, for, for various reasons. I love when they bring up the fiscal responsibility stuff is they're all of a sudden fiscal hawks, apparently. But let's talk about this a little bit, because how does this play out? across the rest of the country when it comes to do the American people want increased border security? Do they want a wall? How does this play out with the average American in what they call flyover countries? Right. So, oh, well, in flyover countries are even a completely different story. But nationally, if you were to even include everybody, the media has been very good at how they twist this up. Americans and really of all stripes across the board want border security. And what the media does is they frame this when they poll, their pollsters frame this not as a policy question, but as as whether or not the respondent supports Donald Trump or his plan in particular. So they attach that to Trump, like Republican pollsters, by the way, used to try to attach Obamacare to health care. You know, so it's smart politically. But if you ask people about, you know, a physical barrier on the southern border, do you think we need it? The answer is overwhelming. If you frame it as a question uh, about Donald Trump, you're going to get social desirability bias. And I don't know if you remember Oakland County um, after the Michigan primary in 2015 actually did a study in Oakland County specifically because those are the people that we were told would not support Donald Trump because they're educated. And, uh, you know, the educated people don't vote for Donald Trump and don't support his policies. And in Oakland County, uh, we did your show after that. If you, I don't know if you remember, but in Oakland County, of course, that showed that to not be true. If you ask the voters in Oakland, which, by the way, back Donald Trump, Cruz or John Kasich, um, if you ask the voters in Oakland County about the wall and you framed it as Trump, it was standing in the low 40s or something like that. If you framed it just as a question about a physical barrier, that was a whole different story. And now we're looking at 56, 57 percent. And that's in a place like Oakland County. So when we're just looking at the flyover countries or the affected areas of the country, um, then, of course, support for that goes up. Actually, support for the wall a couple of weeks ago was the highest it was ever measured by Quinnipiac which compared to us was always a little bit on the low end anyway. So it would have been curious for us to run one at that time. And, and, and we probably will now, you know, come to think of it with, with the caravan coming, but, and we'll see, but support for the wall is determined on how that question is, is worded Don. It really is. It matters in the yeah. media. They frame it not as a policy, but as support for the man himself. Yep. When it comes to polling, words matter for sure. Hey, Rich, I want to I want to wish everybody a safe and happy new year at uh, Big Data Poll and PeoplesPunditDaily.com. You have a great one, and we will do this again next year. You too, my friend. Happy New Year. It was a great year working with you, and I will talk to you in the next one. All right. Great working with you, too. That was Richard Barris. He is the editor of PeoplesPunditDaily.com. Well, as you know, it is time for our weekly Vets in the Fight sit rep. This week is no different, so here's this week's Vets in the Fight. Hello, 
all you vets in the fight. This is David Miller with your weekly Special Operations Speaks, Vets in the Fight sit rep. Well, here we are now just a few days after Christmas. The faces of little ones lit up, their little bodies literally vibrating with excitement. Oh, wise grandparents, sit back and cherish the moment when the drum set and electric piano are unwrapped and a joyous noise ensues. Or was that just me? Yeah, anyway, we do hope that your day was spent with family, friends, and with thankful hearts, blessed to be citizens of this nation. We thought we might milk the winners and losers theme one more time before we bid adieu to 2018. Just as last week, the lists are long, so we'll hit the high or low notes and then look ahead a bit into 2019. And the winners are Brian Colfosh. We mentioned Brian last week and his wall campaign is moving along so well we thought it worth repeating. You were force veteran and triple amputee had started a We the People Will Fund the Wall GoFundMe campaign with a goal of raising $1 billion. Brian, in his not-so-small way, is doing his part to make America great again. The epitome of patriotism and sheer guts, Brian, through the campaign, has doubled the $8 million as of 20 December to more than $17 million as of 27 December. He hasn't done this alone. His partners are our next winner. You, the American people. From townhall.com and according to the Giving USA Foundation, in their annual report of charitable giving, Americans gave over $410 billion in 2017. Yes, billion with a B. That's 2.1% of the nation's gross domestic product. This was the first time that annual charitable giving crossed the $400 billion mark and is substantially more than the $389 billion record set in 2016. Amazing. We would be remiss if we didn't mention our Commander-in-Chief, President Donald Trump. Just home from a visit to our troops in Iraq and Germany, the President has put his actions where his mouth is, supporting the men and women in uniform in faraway lands, separated from family and country during Christmas. President Trump fights every day relentless and vicious opposition, not only from the usual suspects, but also from within his own administration, the deep state. Still, he labors on, knowing that his, too, is a righteous fight. Thank you, Mr. President. Lastly, our brave men and women who wear a different uniform, law enforcement and first responders. These guardians of everyday life are too often unsung in their heroic efforts to maintain order and save lives and property. They wade into the underbelly of human nature as a matter of course to protect and serve those of us trying to lead peaceable lives. They rush into the face of danger, be it a raging wildfire, hurricanes and floods, or a beloved family pet stuck in a tree. The American spirit of selfless service is alive and well every day in these fine folks. Now, honorable mention, Senators Lindsey Graham and Susan Collins. He, for his magnificent pun-lashing of the reprobate judiciary Democrats, and she, for her impressive and passionate speech declaring her support for then-Judge Kavanaugh. And we've purposely left just a little room for the losers. They merit just 
a brief mention, unless we be accused of beating a dead donkey, the 10 Democrats of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Their disgusting behavior during the draconian Kavanaugh hearings clearly exposed their, quote, end justifies the means, end quote, doctrine. From Feinstein's dark and villainous cornering of Senator Susan Collins in a hallway to Cory Booker's Spartacus moment. Sheer theater, by the way. To their star performer, Dr. Christine Ford. Truth was never on the menu, but a socialist agenda was. The Democrats put a lot of stock in the nanosecond memories of many Americans. This travesty will hopefully linger long in the memory of Americans. We certainly will not forget. Last and definitely least on our rogues gallery, the high-tech giants. Microsoft, Apple, Google, including YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. These multi-billion dollar companies prop up a gossamer front of being pro-free speech but demonetize, delete, and demonize that speech if it dares counter their leftist bent. This is especially worrisome, given that virtually all of the information our youngest generations get comes from social media. Dishonorable mentions, the corrupted Me Too movement, and Colin Kaepernick. Now, looking ahead to 2019, Vets in a Fight will again have a booth at the USASOC Sniper Competition, 17 through 22 March. More on that as time approaches. Keep up the good fight and know that ours is a righteous fight. This is David Miller for Special Operations Speaks and Vets in a Fight Everywhere. Until next week, may God bless our exceptional republic. Dale Presso Lieber. Patriotic Warriors is a grassroots organization built to engage our community. While others talk about preserving our constitutional republic, Patriotic Warriors is taking action to restore the American dream. If you're truly concerned about the future of this great nation, visit PatrioticWarriors.com today. The time is now. PatrioticWarriors.com. That's PatrioticWarriors.com. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you can find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at Formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on Formateer.com. Or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, Formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, Formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United 
United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information. Or they can edit information that has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data reentry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. The TeaPartyCommunity.com website was built to provide an online safe haven social community for all of the tea parties across America to utilize and enjoy. Tea Party Community serves as a hub for sharing ideas, unifying a movement, and organizing strategies to keep America in her rightful place as the greatest nation on earth. Visit TeaPartyCommunity.com today to open your free account. At TeaPartyCommunity.com, we welcome all factions of the Tea Party and conservative movements to join us here and establish their presence. Upgraded and special privileged accounts are available for large conservative groups and nonprofit organizations. Join TeaPartyCommunity.com today and get involved in the process of taking our country back. My mother froze everything. I was 18 years old before I had my first fresh bun. The invention that I came up with is the Hot Dog Easy Bun Steamer. Steam is the key to a great hot dog. I knew it was going to be a success. The invention was so simple that I knew I needed to protect it. My name is Chris Chute, and I got my patent, trademark, and LLC on LegalZoom. We created LegalZoom to help people start their business and launch their dreams. Go to LegalZoom today and make your business dream a reality. At LegalZoom.com, we put the law on your side. Denine Borelli, author of Blacklash. Hi, I'm Senator Mike Lee. Hi, this is Governor Scott Walker and the Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. Welcome back to the show. Get into a little bit of our best of 2018. One of the rising stars in the conservative movement party this year was, of course, Candace Owens, who hooked up with uh, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA, a great organization, if you haven't checked those guys out. And uh, our own Michael McCarthy uh, went to the event last year. And so this was actually a year ago, but we played it at the very beginning of this year. Uh, this was right when she had first hooked up with uh, Turning Point USA. And again, our own Mike McCarthy had a chance to sit down with Candace Owens. And I thought he uh, did a great job of, of just talking to her about what it is like for her. I think one of the most difficult things uh, when in American politics today, at least with as divisive as everything is, is being a black conservative and actually admitting that. It's as if it's some kind of crime or, or should be, I think, if you listen to uh, some on the left. So here is Mike McCarthy's sit down with Candace Owens. This is Mike McCarthy with the Don Smith Show here at TPUSA in West Palm Beach interviewing the latest... Uh, viral video sensation Candace Owens, who is now affiliated with TPUSA. So, Candace, welcome to the Don Smith Show. I'm so excited to be on it. <laughs> and uh, my first question is, what led you to these uh, conservative ideas that you talked about on your YouTube video? 
Um, I would say it was a culmination of maybe a few different events, but in particular, I think anyone that was paying attention to this election cycle couldn't have not been understanding that the terminology that was being used was extremely hyperbolic. Every day I was waking up and being told that America, which I had grown up in, was a racist country, it was a sexist country, it was a misogynist country, and that the only way that I could save it was by voting for Hillary Clinton. Um, those ideas didn't really um, bode well with me, and I just started believing the narrative that Donald Trump was telling, which was that the media is no longer in the business of reporting the news to us, they're in the business of selling certain narratives. Okay. So, and when you say selling certain narratives, how, how did you feel about that? You felt you were being manipulated. sold or... Yeah, manipulated and lied to, and most importantly, the word is used. I feel that the media uses the black community, which I don't know if your listeners know that I am black, um, to basically extrapolate certain narratives, and that narrative was the one of racism that they were trying to stick on to, at that point, of presidential candidate Donald Trump. Okay. Well, give us one or two examples, maybe the same ones you use in your video, of liberal policies that you feel like are the wrong answer for the black community. Um, uh, there are tons of things that are the wrong answer, but let's just say something that I am strongly against is any sort of thing that just wants to give something to black people because they're black. I mean, that is just the complete wrong ideology. You cannot reward people based on the color of their skin. That is anti-American, it's anti-capitalistic, it doesn't work. You can't say I'm going to give you a job not because you're the best person for it, but because you are the blackest person for it. You can't say I'm going to let you into this school not because you are the best student for it, but because you are the blackest student that is applying. So all of these policies that were created to help the black community are in the end actually creating a handicap for them because you're saying you don't have to work harder, you don't actually have to be on the same playing field. Um, as your peers, you just have to be black and keep complaining. So I'm against all handouts. Another one is definitely the entire system of welfare, which when people ask me, do I think that systematic... I'll, I'll start with welfare. Okay, you were talking about welfare. Yeah. Um, another system is welfare. Uh, people ask me all the time, do I think that systematic or systemic racism exists? And my answer is always the same. Yes, but you tie your own noose, meaning that if you want to take some of the government programs that they built um, during the era of LBJ, like welfare, then absolutely um, you are going to find yourself at the helm of what was a system that was built to keep black people down. Uh, I have tons of family, so I, I don't speak from not knowing this. I speak because I have a lot of family members that are on welfare, that are on disability, that are on Section 8, and take these government handouts, which I am staunchly against. I grew up in an impoverished neighborhood, and a family that didn't have any means. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> tons of things that I disagree with being done currently for black people. Okay, okay. Um, so then go to the opposite. Tell us one or two ideas that you think would give better results for the black community. Um, listen, everything boils down to edu education. Um, you have to be able to sustain yourself. You have to be the smartest person in the room. You have to continue to read books. You have to build black businesses. Um, you need to go out to people and sell those black businesses, and you need to uh, then within you create a community for black people. You can hire black. I think one thing that I always am so impressed with in terms of a Jewish community is that they have done that successfully. Um, they were in a holocaust. It, during World War II and look at where they are now. They own virtually, you know, all property in the United States and beyond. Um, and they, what did they do? They, they worked really, really hard. Um, they built businesses from the ground up 
and they continue to build businesses from the ground up. So complaining is not going to get us anywhere. Living in the past is not going to get us anywhere. Um, just true American capitalistic values is what's going to get us somewhere. Okay, okay. Um, tell us, if, if, if any, what problems have you run into being black and conservative? I run into a problem every day being black and conservative. <laughs> I'm told that it is not allowed. It is an oxymoron of some sort, and it's only an oxymoron because the Democrats say it is, and that, um, to me, this is their way of uh, keeping black people on what I describe as a plantation of thought, is they, they scare them against trying to think differently because the Democrats understand that if they lose our vote by even 5%, the DNC ceases to exist, so they have to keep us constantly in fear of racism. Um, yeah, so I, I'm constantly referred to as a race trader, as a coon, as an Uncle Tom. Stories that are written about me are absolute lies. Uh, they say that I'm, you know, this staunch Republican that couldn't be further from the truth. I am not a registered Republican. I am just a girl that has woken up and is trying to deliver a message to my community. They um, try to whitewash me, as they do with all successful black people, which is sad. They say, if this is a, a successful black person, then this person's not black. And I can't think of anything more insulting to the black community than the idea that we can't be intelligent and think on our own. Okay, okay. Well, um, what advice would you give to other African Americans who are starting to figure this out, what, the things you figured out, that the Democratic Party policies aren't working for them? What, what advice would you um, follow the trail. Uh, look in all of the urban communities and see how we are failing everywhere that we elect Democratic officials. And to officially break the chains of thought, don't be ashamed. Look what I do. I put myself out there every day. I make videos and people write mean comments and I don't care uh, because there's nothing that feels better than waking up every morning and knowing that I'm free and that I am not owned by any political party, that my thoughts and my ideas are my own and having the courage to understand that I don't need to deep dive into the history of black Americans in this country country to understand that my future can be bright without any of that. Okay. All right. Um, tell us some of your plans with Turning Point. What, what do you hope to do? And right. So uh, Turning Point, meeting with them, it was just written in the stars, I'm telling you. Charlie Kirk is going to be, without a doubt, a future president of the United States. And his initiative was all about putting boots on the ground on campuses and talking to students and really not encouraging the vote one way or the other, but presenting to them a different ideological scope. Um, we both understand, when I went back in my mind and I said, why was I a Democrat for 25 years? Why did I think that I had no other option but to be a Democrat? When I sat down and had this conversation with myself, I realized that I didn't think this, I learned this. I learned this in the school system. The school systems have been overrun with liberalism. And I think now it's, it's worse than even when I was in college, which was just a short seven years ago. Um, it is absolutely disgusting. There is no other different ideological spectrum being presented. It is you live like this or you fight anything that goes against it. So what Charlie has been able to do is, is get on the ground and talk to students and present different ideas. And I'm trying to do the exact same thing for the black community. Um, enter in when I know that they are being brainwashed and lied to and indoctrinated and say, hey, here's a different way that you can look at things. Let me know what you think and let them come to their own conclusions. Okay, I like that idea. Let them come to their own conclusions. Yes. Just put it out there and people can connect the dots on their own. Um, well, what other... For what if I forgot to ask you, what, what else would you like to say that you feel is important? What other message would um, you like to get the out? The message that I always say when people ask me is just to tell people that no matter where they are at in life, um, whether they are poor, whether they are rich, 
uh, that the solution that they can always look to is education. And for me, education meant from the time I was a little girl, my mom used to take us to the library to get books. I, I completely wrapped myself into novels and books, and so I truly am a self-taught person. Mm -hmm. And that's remember that the only thing that you have when you are in this world that is completely yours is your mind. Um, so protect that at all costs against any form of indoctrination or anybody telling you who you have to be. Stay alert. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, good. Well, uh, for uh, for the Don Smith Show, Mike McCarthy here with Candace, and we are so glad that you are here with us and able to share your thoughts because um, you are breaking new ground. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that was Mike McCarthy sitting down with Candace Owens again at that time, just getting hooked up with Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, a uh, great organization that, that gives you hope, I mean, for the future of conservatism, to know that there's still a lot of young people actively engaged in conservative principles and ideas and um, trying to reach out to others as well, which is a main a part of what Candace does. So great, great interview there by Michael McCarthy. Of course, he is the author of The Noah Option, if you haven't checked that out, an amazing book. And uh, always great to have him uh, contribute here to the program. You know, one of the problems is, so this week, let me share a little personal story, get out of uh, politics a little bit, but this is really about our society. I had some time uh, this week here, um, kind of a shutdown time, because we had, uh, of course, best of interviews, so a little easier to do that than the new ones. And I was watching some, I was flipping through the channels, and on TV there's a series, and it's called It, it Happened Here. So it was all these stories about famous people and, uh, and their rise to fame and where they started from, where they grew up in their hometowns, all these kind of things. But something struck me on this, and it struck me many times in many different contexts. But to put it in this context, I think being a kind of non-political thing, just to show you what's going on in our society. Because this is one of the big problems we have right now. And it doesn't even matter whether you're talking immigration, you're talking, pick an issue. It's come down to a lack of personal responsibility. It's as if anymore... Anybody who does anything wrong, well, they, you know, they really didn't. Remember the famous clip, and Whoopi Goldberg, and she was talking about the woman Polanski, who had sex with a 13-year-old girl, and now, of course, now is uh, has fled the country and has been gone for for quite some time. But they had the panel, and they were they were defending him. They were defending Roman Polanski because you know he gave her the quaalude after they had sex. As if somehow that kind of made it better, first of all, giving a 13-year-old girl a quaalude. Secondly, um, he had sex with her. That, that, that's not okay. But nobody anymore is responsible for anything. And so this struck me. So on this program, it, was, it started out, it was, uh, I caught it about a third of the way through, and it was the story of Richard Pryor. Right? So it showed, showed him coming up and you know, all these things. And then the next one was John Belushi. So here was what I found interesting. Because... When it comes to, first of all, Richard Pryor, everybody knows, uh, just like John Belushi, both had huge drug problems, right? So big drug problems. It was never their fault. These shows, these programs, one-hour-long programs, tripped over themselves to tell you why it wasn't their fault. It was the pressures of this. It was these people influencing that. It was nothing was their fault. So as I was watching this one, especially the John Belushi one, 
I thought back because at the end of the story, so they show this whole thing, get into the John Belushi one. So they, they show this whole story of his life and where he's raised. A, a huge John Belushi fan. I'm also a huge Richard Pryor fan. I thought two of the funniest guys ever. But they showed this, and they kept giving you reasons why they were addicted to drugs. And, you see, I would think that maybe it was like a personal choice, right, because it's a decision you make. Nobody forced either of these guys to do drugs. But they kept giving you all these reasons, all these reasons. Well, it's because of this. And then this happened to him. And, oh, and then he had this happen. People have things happen to them all day long, every day. People all across the country, all over the world, have things happen to them. It's a choice how you deal with it. But the way they presented it, it wasn't really a choice. I mean, it was like they had no choice. And so the John Belushi one. So they go through this whole thing, and they talk about his excessive drug use, and his, which happened throughout his entire career. Now, it was the fault of the people at Saturday Night Live, apparently, was what they were trying to make the case of. But here's the real point. If you go back in time to maybe a, a simpler time, a Leave it to Beaver kind of time, you look at people like Janis Joplin, you look at uh, Jimi Hendrix, you look at uh, Jim Morrison. When these people OD'd, when they died from using too much, too many drugs, it was their fault. They, they were reckless. They were living the rock and roll life. They were exactly, which is exactly true. It was their choice to do the things that they did that ultimately led to their own demise. But at the end of the story with John Belushi, alas, it wasn't his fault. It was the fault of his dealer, the person who scored the drugs for him. And they even tried to make the case. They said, well, this is a guy that he didn't like needles and he hated needles. And so somebody must have been shooting him up as if this guy had no control over anything and people could just stick needles in his arms. This was, this was ridiculous. And, of course, we're talking Kathy Smith, who was the dealer, who was his friend and dealer, got him his drugs. She actually got convicted and spent 15 months in jail. So we have gone from a society where... Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, those folks were responsible for, for what happened to them. They were responsible for their own demise to a society where, God, he's really funny and I like his movies, so it, it just can't be his fault. And, and it's not just okay, – if, if you want some more examples, here would be another example of this. Michael Jackson. Okay, everybody knew that in Michael Jackson's situation, he had a doctor there. He was taking some really horrible things that ultimately led to his death his choice to do that. He had this doctor actually living with him. And if it wasn't that doctor, it would have been another doctor. He had plenty of money. He could have found anybody to do these things. But we just couldn't hold Michael Jackson, King of Pop. We couldn't hold him responsible for his own actions. It had to be the doctor's fault, who this doctor was also found guilty and spent a couple years in prison. You look at Prince here, one of the more recent ones. Here, here's a guy who was hooked on, we're, we're talking about fentanyl, we're talking about all the, uh, the opioids and the, the crisis we have in this country. He was a victim of that. But again, this was his choice. But they went after his doctor as well, who, as it turned out, it, uh, not really where the drugs had come from anyway. But my point is this. We have to get back to personal responsibility. When people are no longer responsible for their own actions because of whatever reasons, I don't care what reasons you throw out there, when we are no longer responsible for our own actions, well, there you go. No problems will ever get solved. 
It's impossible to solve because nobody is held accountable. We've got – I'll go from a conservative point. I'll get into the political on this. We've got down here Pam Bondi in the state of Florida who is now suing Walgreens and CVS because of the opioid crisis. Now, okay, you know, in the cases of the doctors that we just discussed, yeah, maybe they uh, – certainly they played a role in this, right? Uh, but again, these guys, any of them could have found somebody to get him this stuff. John Belushi could have found anybody to get him drugs, but just happened to trust this lady in whatever the case was. The doctor for Prince, the doctor for Michael Jackson, somebody was going to do this. We, we have to have personal responsibility. They have to have some role in this, and when they don't, well, there you go. I, I watched one on Kiefer Sutherland here, and I like Kiefer Sutherland. We watched this a couple months ago, and it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen because every single thing, first of all, he started drinking because he was working too much. Then all of a sudden, he had a period where he didn't work so much, so that caused him to drink. And then it was back to working really hard again, which, of course, caused him to drink. Which one is it? Maybe the guy likes to drink. You know, maybe he makes that decision. Maybe it has nothing to do with his workload. But this thing just kept tripping over itself to try to explain to you why he was just completely out of control. And there was nothing he could do about it. There was just nothing he could do about it. He was a victim of his circumstances. That's a bunch of crap. And it's led to a lot of problems in our society, and it will continue to. I, I, don't, I think it continues to get worse. You look at all the, in the political realm, all the different boxes that people are put in now, trans, and just within the trans community, there's like eight different classifications, of trans women of color, trans. It's insane. But the, all this is done to set up a protection, right? You've got to be protected. You've got to protect these people. They need special rules. They need special rights. And anything that they do, well, it's not their fault. It's because society shuns them or, or whatever the case is. This doesn't end well. We've got to get back to personal responsibility in this country, and until we do that, uh, I think we're going to continue to see more things out of control, more shootings. You look at the homeless issue, the number of homeless people on the street, and they're not all just law-abiding, you know, just down-on-their-luck kind of people. Some of these pe people belong in mental institutions. They have problems, and this isn't picking on them. This isn't putting them down. This is a fact. We ignore that fact. One of the reasons that, that this has all happened was also a political thing. You can look back to Geraldo Rivera, who went on a crusade to shut down some of the biggest state hospitals around the country because they were poor conditions. They were So instead of fixing the poor conditions, there was an all-out assault. There was an all-out protests and uh, lawmakers getting involved to score some political points. So instead of fixing the real problem, the living conditions, we just shut them down. What did we think was going to happen? Whoever sat down and said, geez, well, what's going to happen to these people that are in here, that are probably in here for a good reason? Nobody ever thinks those things through. So you know, where, you know what happened to them? They ended up out in the streets. They're, the, they're these people living in cardboard boxes along the street in Washington, D.C., and every major city in this country. So again, sometimes being a do-gooder does a lot of harm. And I think we, that's something that's got to be addressed as well. I mean, we've got to figure out what, what to do with the mental health issues. We've got to figure out what to do with uh, the homeless people, which in some cases those, those intersect. 
And that's all I'm saying is the further we get away from personal responsibility, it just is not going to end well. So uh, just interesting thing to sit and watch this and watch how instead of blaming the individuals, these shows all centered around how to find somebody else to blame. Because we don't want to blame John Belushi. We didn't want to blame Richard Pryor. We didn't want to blame Prince. We didn't want to blame Michael Jackson. Somebody's got to be responsible for this. I say it's the individual. And I think that's really, if you break down politics today, that's what it comes down to. Are you for personal responsibility? Do you, believe, do you believe in individualism or do you believe in collectivism? And I think that's really the question here. Quick commercial break in that I definitely want you to stick around for my sit down with Dr. Elvita King. It was, it was fascinating. and I learned actually a lot about her during that interview. So quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Dr. Elvita King. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you could find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at Formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on Formateer.com. Or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, Formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, Formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information, or they can edit information that has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data reentry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. Is it time to expand and open offices in Sao Paulo and London? A long-term lease will be like a short, tight noose, and furnishing those will be as much fun as a tax on it. You guys always give me such great negative feedback. Fear and doubt holding you back? Now there's a new way to work to minimize risk. With Regis, you get fully equipped offices without a long-term lease, a receptionist, conference rooms, and over 1,100 locations around the world. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to, except give you grief for being a conservative? You gotta try the Tea Party Community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures, and videos. The Tea Party Community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people. Like you, sign up today at teapartycommunity.com. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. 
Are you among the 64% of Americans who believe our country is going in the wrong direction? If yes, then eVoiceAmerica.com is the political take action site we've all been waiting for. And it's really free. eVoice America provides your personal list of elected reps every time you log on. This makes it so easy to email your opinions and e-votes on top issues directly to each of our D.C. elected representatives. eVoice then publishes our e-vote majority percentages on top issues to each member of Congress and the media. Now, for the first time in history, we can know what millions of American citizens are telling Congress. No more gridlock. Join the new American majority using eVoiceAmerica.com, putting Americans in control of Congress. Visit eVoiceAmerica.com today. It's free and easy to use. That's eVoiceAmerica.com. Hey, this is Ted Nugent. I'm on the Don Smith Radio Show, where it's okay to be a real conservative. Welcome back to the program. Over you on a great Saturday so far. It is my pleasure to bring on a very honored and distinguished guest. She is an evangelist, Elvita King, director of Civil Rights for the Unborn with Priests for Life and founder of Elvita King Ministries. Dr. King, welcome to the Don Smith Show. Hello, Don. How are you? And hello to all your listeners. I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Thank you for your time, by the way. Absolutely great. Thank you. So you you are you do a lot of great things out there. You, you, I mean, especially I think pro life is is a very primary issue with you. Talk about the work you're doing with civil rights for the unborn. I think it's fascinating. I think it's it's well needed in this time. Well, as a civil rights activist born in the 20th century, and the family that gave us Martin Luther King Jr as well through the Lord God Almighty. But my dad, Reverend A.D. King, was a civil rights leader. My mother today, Naomi King, is my granddaddy, Daddy King, Mama King. So it's a family legacy, civil rights is. My passion, of course, as an evangelist is Jesus Christ. But one of the major issues that led us to bring about civil rights for the unborn, for a priest, for life, is the issue of human life, the sanctity from the womb, conception, or fertilization until natural death. So that means we won't kill people in the womb or outside of the womb. We want people not to be poor, not to be hungry, uh, not to be sad and hurt. So that is uh, really the effort and the goal of the entire mission. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know this is a lifelong journey for you, a lifelong mission, if you will. How, why, let me ask you this, because this is maybe more of a societal question, but why have we gotten to the point where it seems like abortion is just like, eh, you know, it's just abortion. They dehumanize it by calling it a fetus. They can't even say it's a human being. How have we gotten to the point where it's become so uh, blasé, if, if I can use that word? Well, I have a new book out with two other powerful ladies, Slavery, Racism, and Abortion, and the Female Psyche. How did we come to a place where abortion became acceptable first in the minds of 
mothers and women and doctors and parents and fathers, and then how did it become legal? And so here we are in America with Roe versus Wade having become the law of the land through the Supreme Court in 1973 that made it legal to kill babies in the womb of their mothers. And so when we look at that, if you devalue the weakest and most vulnerable human being on the planet, you devalue that person in the womb. That's that little baby in the womb. You can devalue life, property, and everything. And we've seen that happen. And, uh, of course, it's been very unfortunate. And so uh, we came there because it, it was like a slow process. You've heard the analogy, take a cold pot of water, put a frog in it, the frog is used to water. So it stays there, turn on a low heat and let it cook and cook. And by the time it's beginning to, to boil, the frog has no energy to get out. So that's yeah. kind of how we came to abortion as it is today in America. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, that, that is a great analogy. I think kind of define that. But let me ask you this, because how much, I think we've seen in a, a movement here in this country over the last uh, several years, over my lifetime, where we've kind of turned away from God. I think a, a lot of the country has, and there's a lot of negative things out there about religion and uh, just the demeaning of religion itself. Uh, how much do you think that's played into it, the removal of religion from our schools and all those things? How much does that play into this, this attitude towards abortion today? Well, we saw that, of course, in, the, in 1963, Madeline Murray O'Hare, I think, uh, on behalf of her son, had prayer taken out of school and pushed it back out of the public square, and then abortion in 73, of course, and then uh, the dismantling of the nuclear family, uh, that spiritual bond that God gives to a man and a woman in marriage, and then they have children and they raise them. All of those things have been kind of nullified, broken, uh, because of people not having the right kind of understanding about what the picture of family is. God wants a family. You know, he has a son, Jesus Christ, and, and we are adopted into the, the kingdom of God through through that love process. And he take, took a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they were going to populate the earth, but that dream and vision kind of got corrupted with a lot of other things. So here we are today not valuing the genuine plan for the love and bonds in, within families. And so, and then everybody gets the idea, well, who needs God anyway? Let's throw God out. Let's not have God. Who cares if you don't want a baby, kill the baby. Um, if I want to steal something from you, I should be able to, because I should be able to have exactly what you have. And if you won't give it to me, I'll kill you and take it. I mean, that's, we have those attitudes. But blessedly, the younger people today, I'm 67, and I've lived in two, two um eras in the 20th, 20th century and 21st century. But younger people, some are getting it. They're beginning to ask questions. Wait a minute, how did this happen? Where did this go wrong? Could it have been yeah. different? So we need to be ready to say, well, we messed it up in the first place. We're free love. Do whatever you want to do. It's your thing. And then we didn't care, and things became lawless. But now we can yeah. have some togetherness and love and structure come back. And uh, with me as a Christian evangelist, it comes through the Lord. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me get into this because civil rights for the unborn. One thing I've noticed about your organization is your message is a little different, and I think you address some things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. They just want to talk about, well, uh, some people are having abortions because it might save the mother's life and things like that, and many people understand that. But what you talk about 
is the impact that this has on the person who has the abortion. And I think that's really interesting because people don't want to talk about the long-term impacts of, oh my goodness, I've aborted a child and I have to deal with that for the rest of my life. Talk, talk a little bit about that aspect of civil rights for the unborn. Well, I actually had two abortions, so I speak from personal experience as well. And uh, now, in the case of the life of the mother or the child, that's not even abortion. What happens, the doctor has two patients and tries to save the life of both patients. And the event that one of them does not live, then the, uh, the doctor has lost one but saved one. And a lot of times that choice is given to the mother, and more often than not, the mother will say, save my child. I mean, you know, statistically, we know that when there's a question and it's given to the mother, most of the time the mother will say, save the child. And sometimes the father will be crying, no, I can't lose you. We can have other children, this, that, and the other. So, uh, but that is very rare. It's less than 1% uh, that, that time in a pregnancy that happens. And the other ones, I'm too poor. I want to go to school. Uh, the father doesn't want it. Uh, those are all reasons. But there has to be a better way than killing someone. And so abortion does not serve the public. Abortion actually kills the public. And Father Frank Pabone says that we're writing some of these things in our new book. Um, It's called uh, Abortion in Black and White, and look for it early in 2019. And so we're giving all of these statistics and all of this information. And uh, so there is a better way than abortion. There just is. And we just want to encourage people to seek that, yes. Yeah, and I think it's great that, again, that you look at that, and especially you having a personal perspective on that. If I can ask you, what, what... what has it been like for you? Because, I mean, you've gone through this twice, and, and now you, you've you had to deal with it for the rest of your life. What kind of impact has it had on your life going forward beyond that point? Even every once in a while now, I had one abortion. My doctor just did it instead of giving me a pregnancy test without mm. explaining what was going on. That was in 1917. Then 1973, I had been guided over to Planned Parenthood because he was kind of on the board of that and all. And uh, I had my second legal abortion in 73. And uh, my birthday is January 22nd. Abortion became legal in America January 22nd, 1973. A few months later, I chose to have under duress, uh, but still chose to have an abortion. So sometimes I've been through healing at Rachel's Vineyard through Priest for Life. Also, I'm a spokesperson for Silent No More Awareness through Priest for Life, Director of Civil Rights for the Unborn. So I went through healing. But every once in a while now, I named, those children have names, Philip, Jessica, and Raphael, the miscarried child. And I'll say, I'm so sorry, guys, and I'm looking forward to seeing you one day in heaven. So every once in a while, more often than once in a while, I think about them and my little grandchildren. You had an abortion, and what was their names again? And how, how could you do that? Did you want to abort my mommy or my daddy? You know, I have to have these conversations um, with my family frequently. Well, and again, and I think that's one of the great things about your organization, Civil Rights for the Unborn, is that you talk about that aspect of it. I think that's so important because I think it's so, so often it's overlooked. Now, I've got to ask you this because I've got you on the show, and uh, I know you've gotten a lot of heat for being a Donald Trump supporter. We're seeing a huge uh, uptick in the, in the support amongst the African community for President Donald Trump. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 
President Donald John Trump keeps his campaign promises. When he was candidate Trump, I had a list of five people. He was on that list that, of who I could actually vote for for president. I voted for Dr. Ben Car Carson in the primary in Georgia. He came out of the race, went immediately to President Trump. I joined him along with Dave Gardner. Bruce Lavelle was already there, Daryl Scott, all the, all the team. And so I consider myself a part of that team and have been all – I voted for President Trump in the general election, was very excited about it, was there to celebrate with him at the church service the day after he was elected. Now, I'll just give you just a couple of the promises that caused me to be excited about voting for him, and I believe he would keep these promises, and he has. First, he said, I will bring the jobs from overseas back to America. America can work again. He said, I will let the church have the voice again. We'll say Merry Christmas again. He says, killing little babies in their mother's wombs and ripping them apart, that's bad. We'll stop that. The point is, uh, Supreme Court justice that's going to to rule fairly on that. He's, the Mexico City policy stops sending money overseas for abortion, on and on. And uh, he says, you know, if the answer to racism, we all believe the same. So we just, everybody needs safety, security, and to get along. So we'll do that. Now, I, I, I'm saying I, I may be minimalizing it because he's done so many executive orders, hundreds of them, that are making America great again. I was so excited to see him reopen the steel mills in America mm -hmm. and, yep. and let the yep. jobs come back to America. And then on prison reform, my, my goddaughter, Angela Stanton, she, she runs Stanton Publishing House. Um, she had her baby, her youngest child, chained while she was chained to a bed in a federal prison. There's a House resolution that President Trump is supporting today, right now, saying that you will not put pregnant women in shackles when they're in jail. No, don't do that. So it's just he keeps his promises, and there are yeah. hundreds of promises that he's kept, not one or two. And so guess what? Skin color doesn't define us. He's right. We all believe the same. Acts 17:26, of one blood God made all people. He said that we just got to treat people fairly. Get them a job. And so unemployment is down. Job rates are up. African-Americans tell me all the time, my paycheck, I got more money than my paycheck. I know a black lady that was standing on the street with her child. The husband was trying to stand back because America tends to want to take care of the mother and the child and ignore the dad. So we went and got the dad, the mother, and the baby a place to be under HUD under Dr. Carson. So we're, we're uh, you know, and we the whole family unit, we're not running daddy off anymore. We're not doing that anymore. You know, and those are all great points because this is the thing. I have never seen a president in my lifetime who has actually made a lot of promises and actually kept them. Usually they he flip just, and they, well, I... You can check them off. You can check them off one by one, yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. King, tell us a little bit more. How can my listeners help civil rights for the unborn and all the great work that you're doing? Well, remember, I'm the daughter of A.D. and Naomi King. My mom promotes this message with me. You can hear about us at civilrightsfortheunborn.com, also alvedaking.com. That's two places you can begin to find me. I've got all kind of books, music, songs. I'm the executive director of the movie Roe v. Wade. I'm in the movie Order of Rights. There's a couple of uh, the um, pro-life movies that we're doing nowadays. So uh, just look for me. I'm out there. Evangelist Alveda C. King. 
Absolutely. And you are a very hardworking woman. God bless you for everything you do. And thank you so much for your time and have a marvelous weekend. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. That was my sit down with Dr. Elvita King. I love how passionate she got about uh, President Donald Trump, about promises made, promises kept. And obviously there's, there, uh, there are listeners out there who are concerned about two promises. One was, of course, holding Hillary Clinton accountable, and the other was draining the swamp. I mean, obviously, we all understand that there's a big swamp in Washington, D.C. You know, I think, go, kind of go back to my conversation with uh, People's Pundit Daily editor Richard Barris. We were talking about the uh, Jeff Sessions and how he's kind of maybe lost some of his credibility, and th- I think this was the thing that was, for me, the most disappointing in the first uh, two years of the Donald Trump presidency. And I think probably to the president as well, because I think he really looked at Jeff Sessions as being the guy that was going to kind of lead both of those promises and, uh, and take them. And it seemed that Jeff Sessions really just kind of disappeared once he took the job. And so I think um, maybe as we move forward, get a new attorney general going and uh, get things moving in that direction, maybe we can get back to that and start addressing those issues. I think, let's face it, holding the Clintons, unless there's a blue dress with a DNA sample involved, I, the, they just seem to be like, I don't know, kind of like John Guy. Right. The Teflon Don. It's the Teflon Clinton. So maybe that one's a little a little hard to deal with. But uh, certainly we can drain the swamp. We can at least expose it and say, okay, these are the swamp creatures. And I think that would be something that would be welcomed by a lot of people that did support Donald Trump and um, maybe some that just supported him based on those reasons alone. So uh, we'll see what happens here in in this next year as we get some new people in place and uh, maybe some progress can be made in that area. But I want to go to this. In that interview, we we talked a lot about, obviously, uh, Dr. Elvita King, her number one issue, her primary issue is pro-life. And it's, it's such an important issue right now, especially as we look at the changing of the Supreme Court, uh, the, the placement of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, uh, as the court becomes more conservative. This, this, because this was the big issue. This was the big point of reason on why they wanted to stop the confirmation process of Brett Kavanaugh was because they're so concerned about Roe v. Wade now. I think with the way they handle it, they probably might become a self-fulfilling prophecy for them because it may be something that does get revisited. But uh, until that happens, here's the thing. I talked about you're either for individualism or you're for collectivism. And I think this is – and personal responsibility is a huge part of this as well. Because just in in America alone, in in this country alone, there are 4,000 abortions on a daily basis. But if you ever have this conversation, so you have this conversation with these pro-choice people who are only – they're really only pro-choice when it comes to uh, killing babies. I mean, if it's gun rights or you know, education or anything like that, not so much. They're not really pro-choice then. They kind of want the big government hand and those kind of things. But let's look at this because the one rebuttal you get whenever you bring this up to, uh, to some of these pro-choice folks – is they come back and they say, well, what about in the case of rape and incest? That accounts for 0.03% of abortions, of the 4,000 that are done every single day in this country. So the point of that is, is that's about shifting the responsibility away from the person having the abortion. It's about making it a, a societal problem as if, as if it's like 80% 
of impregnations are done by incest and rape. It's 0.03%. Nobody ever wants to talk about the 99.7%. This is, this is a, I think, a great example I, I mentioned earlier. You can take this and you can put it into any issue. Whatever issue you want, personal responsibility must be removed to make a legitimate argument on the left. The, the caravan, they're fleeing poverty. They are, oh, and, and guess who caused their problems? That's right, America, because we went in and we screwed up their country. And so their answer is to come to the country that screwed up their country, which is uh, already a flawed argument. But, but it's about taking away personal responsibility. Well, they came here legally. No, no, see, the second they crashed through the Mexican border fence at their, at their southern border, no, they, they weren't legal anymore. They weren't doing it legally but it's always about removing that personal responsibility. I just wanted to make that point when it comes to abortion. There is a personal responsibility. You heard Dr. King. You heard her own personal experience with that. So that's why, that's why I really do think with what the work she's doing is so important because it, it puts it into that perspective and it brings back in personal responsibility. She feels personally responsible for her situation, not that she was brainwashed into doing it or any of those other things. She accepts personal responsibility. I just think that's really important. Well, one of our favorite guests on here, and we try to have him on a couple times every year, is music legend Charlie Daniels. Great guy who does so much for our veterans. So this year when I had an opportunity to sit down with him earlier in the year, uh, again about probably at the midpoint of the year, we talked about that. We talked about his passion for helping those veterans and, and even active duty military, but he does a lot, so much for the veterans. He's involved in multiple organizations. He has his own. Um, so he is tireless in his efforts for American veterans. Here was my sit down and here's just a clip from that interview. Let's talk about the veterans, Charlie, because I know this okay. is something that's really near and dear to your heart and you do a lot of work with them. We have a lot of veterans listening right now. Tell us about what you've got going on right now with the journey home project. We have all kinds of things going on. We are, uh, we actually allocate money to, we raise money and allocate money to different, sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's an organization. We have done, uh, things as diverse. Of course, it's all done by application. We have, uh, we have applications that are put in and the board votes on it. But we've done things as, as diverse as, uh, having, having, a college uh, build a, a veteran center at the Middle Tennessee University to helping a guy buy a car, helping somebody get a room full of furniture or something like that. Whatever we can do to make the the journey home, uh, as the organization is named for, simpler and and easier for our veterans. Because sometimes I don't say it seems like a very mundane task to most of us who haven't been through it, but. Uh, Sometimes the journey home is not as as simple and easy for some of our veterans as it is for others, and we try to be there for them to try to help meet their needs and uh, help them in whatever way we can. Get educations, we've been involved in that, so uh, we're doing whatever we can. I, it, it'd be hard to I couldn't even say one thing that we had done more than others, but we're we're there to help. Let's just put it like that. Yeah, and the work you guys do is just amazing, and it's so needed, especially, I think, right now. And I think that maybe even played a role in this election. I want, to, I want to read a quote from you, and this is on the Journey Home Project website. And I want to get your reaction as it relates to 
your concern for uh, some of the lack of treatment or some of the stories we're hearing about uh, the VA and things like that. Here's the quote. And I learned early in my life that only two things protected America, the grace of Almighty God and the United States military. It was, way the, it was then, it, it is that way now, and will forever be that way, as long as America remains a free and sovereign nation. What are your thoughts right now of some of the things we're hearing about the VA? And, I mean, we've got them not hanging pictures up of President Trump, and, but it's more so about the treatment to our veterans. It's absolutely unacceptable. It is a disgrace on the face of the United States of America, an organization that spent $100 million on art, of all things. And, I mean, they, they, this, this, this ain't going to work. Our veterans, we owe them an unpayable debt of gratitude. We can never, if we do the very best we can, we can never pay these guys and girls for going over and laying their lives on the line for us. And taking, not taking care of them when they come home is totally unacceptable. And I'm hoping that our new president will make that a priority and will restaff what needs. There's a lot of good people, a lot of dedicated people in the Veterans Administration. The rank and file people, the people who actually do the work in their own hands, treatment, that sort of thing. The problem is that the incompetence is at the top. And that's what's got to be replaced. You've got to cut the head off the snake and, and, and put another one on it. And then somebody's going to kick some butt and go down through the ranks and get it done. But whatever it is and whatever it takes, I hope our new president will be dedicated to it and will take care of this thing because we will not sit by and see our veterans treated the way they've been treated. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And everybody check out the Journey Home Project, but also Charlie and Hazel Daniels Veterans and Military Family Center. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it is a it's, it's a center at the uh, that was built in at Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at the Middle Tennessee State University. They have a a big veterans student population there. And they actually needed a place that could come together, uh, talk things over, and just be with people who had been through what they'd been through. The general college population has not been in combat zones and been around IEDs and been shot at and that sort of thing, but you can get together there. And, and it's also a place to help them be employed. We have teleconferencing. We have a health care specialist on, on site in case... Uh, anybody needs any help, uh, mental health or anything. It's a wonderful place for veterans to get together and, and be, a, you know, be, be together and to, to get help, any kind of help they need, whether it's medical or a job placement or whatever. All right, that was my sit-down with Charlie Daniels, uh, amazing guy, and just uh, always fun to sit down with him. Love interviewing uh, him. Ted Nugent's uh, obviously always really cool as well. You know, we talked about earlier about we have an inability to solve problems, to, to really diagnose what's wrong in this country and to really fix these things. Immigration reform is a great example of that that we're seeing play out. But the homeless problem, this should not be something that's complicated, but it has become complex. Now, years ago, they, uh, actually not that long ago, but probably six, seven years ago, the city of San Francisco passed a law that said, you know what, it's okay to defecate and urinate in the streets if you're homeless because, well, you know, because it, you, you're a victim of society. You're, it, somehow we've created your situation. So, again, we go back to personal responsibility. Here's a story that came out earlier this year, and I've just had it on my phone for a while and, and never read this one. The citizens of San Francisco are tired of having to watch where they step, and City Hall is listening. 
concerned with the volume of complaint calls from residents about human waste on the city's sidewalks. Now, again, these were laws passed by Democrats to allow this to happen. Mayor London Breed announced that the city would be launching a dedicated poop patrol in an effort to clean up the streets. I'm just going to leave it there, but this is the problem. The problem is we have homeless people. Solve the problem. These things are all just things that are created to, well, we've got to be nicer to homeless people. As if somehow if we were nicer to homeless people, they wouldn't be homeless. That doesn't solve the problem. So you know you shouldn't be mean to them. You shouldn't make fun of them or pick on them or any of those kind of things. But solve the real issue. So they pass legislation that it's okay to defecate, urinate in the streets, and then it becomes a problem. Who would have thought that that could have become a problem? Just like they're doing needle exchanges in all these cities – those are not solutions. Those actually are contributing factors, just like not, uh, not clamping down on the people that hire illegals here. It becomes a – it draws, right? It draws more people here. So all about personal responsibility and, hey, I want to take this time to wish everybody a safe and happy new year. I hope you have a great 2019, and I hope you'll join me next year for brand-new Don Smith shows. So everybody have a great holiday uh, coming up here and get ready for 2019 because we are – have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Wow, 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 wow,